0: I.V.M.
1: This is Audio Gan, And I am your host, Kedar Nimkar. Welcome to a deep dive into the minds of luminaries from the Indian creative world. Today we have Mohor Ray with us on Audio Gan. Moore is a co-founder of Co Design, an independent brand identity design practice. She served as a jury member at D&AD Awards, and she's active in writing about people, culture, design, and branding. Moore is also an editor of Deco, an award-winning anthology of inspirational conversations with designers in India, which we'll soon jump into in the end of the conversation. It's also one of like the self-initiated projects uh, by Mohar and co-design. Obviously, they have done the Unbox Festival and the Project Rising, which we'll briefly touch upon. You'll find all the links in the show notes. And uh, yeah, today we are here to discuss about building branding systems. So thanks, Mohar, for giving your time, and it's a real, real pleasure to have you on audio again.
0: Thanks, Keda. It's exciting to be here.
1: Awesome, so I've kept the name as uh, templates are dead, <laughs> but uh, because that's one of the question, but it's mainly to understand sort of uh, your perspective and your understanding of what are brands uh, how do you how have you built branding systems and so on and so forth. To begin with, I'll ask you the most basic question, uh, which is sort of what according to you is brand? you can go philosophical abstract <clears throat> however and also to follow up uh, how has that definition changed over time and this is a very classic question i keep asking about what's the definition and how has it changed over time sure
0: <laughs> so i'm going to actually you know take these two questions uh, in the reverse order because i think when i come to you know what my understanding of brand is today it's also i think the result of the journey, you know, with um, the practice, right, Uh, which being co-design. So when we started, you know, and this is, of course, late 2004, 2005, um, you know, as a young practice, no one's really going to entrust you. And in those days, you know, it was still called corporate identity. Right. So no one was going to trust, you know, really sort of, you know, almost graduates. These, You know, so nobody sort of knows you and you start, you know, essentially like any other sort of, you know, uh, small design, graphic design studio starting up with a lot of brand communication projects. Right. So which is a mix of, you know, you're doing environmental graphics one day an installation um, or a publication, um, so on and so forth. But uh, again, you know, mostly for brands. So that that's where I think my work with brands started. Um, and I think as one started working with these, and, you know, if you think of these, these are essentially your end touch points, right, of a brand. That's where a person eventually sort of experiences the brand. Um, so it's a very, very tangible uh, form of the brand. So I think as one sort of kept working with them, you know, um, I think I started questioning, you know, if, 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 for instance, a particular brand is doing a book, a publication or a space, you know, what is the way that they view it, right? What is the way they think of it? So I think even at that point where it was very, very sort of tangible output-based, I think within like, I, you know, naturally sort of gravitated to thinking about it from the brand's perspective. And at some point also feeling the limitation with, you know, these ingredients, right? Which were at that point really given out as these very traditional corporate identity guidelines. One started finding them a little bit limiting, And, you know, somewhere kept questioning, how would I do it, right, if I had the opportunity? And I think slowly, somehow, you know, then the sort of effort to start doing more brand identity projects started, right? So eventually that move from doing these output-based projects moved on to brand identity projects. So these Mm -hmm. were interesting because, you know, you suddenly started looking at this system as almost like a scaffolding right so you were sorry uh,
1: so, sorry sorry to interrupt but uh, yeah. like when you mentioned when these are sort of the touch points for a brand yeah. so if i have to take it like a little abstract yeah. is like how would you sort of like define that i mean is it a chicken and egg story or is it like very linear in form as in you have a name and the moment that name has certain values attached to it it becomes a brand or You know what I mean, right? Like a bit more abstract in a sense, What, like how does a brand come to be also?
0: Yeah, so I'm just coming to that. So I'm going Uh to actually follow the story in the reverse order, which is what I said, because that's actually personally been like how the understanding built up from actually what eventually goes out into the world all the way Hmm. back to a slightly more philosophical or abstract sense. Sure. From this sort of, you know, very, very tangible, specific sort of output point of view, the practice, you know, moved into this identity system mode where you we were setting up the foundation, some sort of a scaffolding. Now, while we were doing this, you know, over the years, what happened is one started questioning ki you know, why are we creating this system like this? Which I think eventually pushed the practice to where it is today, which is, I think, a much more sort of strategic space where you where you're constantly trying to find and refine the intent of why a brand exists in the world, right? Hmm. because it was really sort of a reverse thing, you know, because we were, I think also India at that point was, you know, I I think branding as such was still a very, very nascent industry, right? And I think that's why we sort of worked our way backwards up from this sort of very specific output-oriented mode to the sort of, you know, the bare bones, the structure of it, all the way to philosophically saying, okay, why does it exist? Why does a brand exist? And if we crack that, then that sort of point of view trickles down very, very strongly and steadily through rest of the system all the way down to the final touch point. So that was, I think, um, where the sort of definition of where I am today, right? So if you ask me today, and again, right, this might change based on, I think, you know, how the practice runs for the next uh, two, three years. But I think where I'm today is, um, I think it's, it's essentially, it is, it is abstract. It is essentially mind space, right it's literally a part of you know it's a set of associations emotions etc but I think what's important uh, to maybe point out here is the fact that when I say mind space um, it's both everyone understands what an external mind space is right what a consumer facing or user facing sort of mind space is. but along with that you know it's, it's also the internal mind space right And that is, you know, whether you're the founder all the way down to all the sort of employees and team. So when you think about the brand in the external mind space thing, right? So it's not so much about what you as a brand stakeholder say, you know, these are our values, missions, but it's really how the audience remembers you, right? How do they think about you and what is it that they associate with you? And very, very importantly today in a world where, you know, everyone has a voice and a platform is how do they talk about you? So, and this is where we are seeing a huge shift, right? From thinking in the context of branding, right? From thinking about the audience as the receiving end of the brand, right? As a concept, key, you know, we've said, told them our vision and uh, vision, we've told them our ideas and values, and that is what is it, right? That is what they will receive. But I think, you know, now when we think about consumers in or our users, we think of them as communities. We think of them as much more sort of active participants. They're also building the brand with us, right? So And that is whether they become brand ambassadors, whether they become, and when I say brand ambassadors, you know, I'm, I'm not saying these are sort of paid influencers or whatever. These are just, you know, genuinely sometimes you find people really sort of connect with a brand. And then they will constantly be convincing people around them to switch as well, right? So this is where, you know, the value system sort of shifts just from you as an organization to something that is actually also owned by me as a user, right? So I can be a loyalist and at the same time, I can also be a critic. And that also sort of feeds back into that idea of the mind space, right? The brand mind space.
1: Mm -hmm. So there are these three categories, right? Uh, early adopters and then hmm. laggards. And there is one more type of segment in the middle. And what they call, I think in the marketing terminology or some, some terminology, they call it like the crossing the chasm. So there is this small window where the system tips. And eventually everyone has a smartphone because QRT phones or feature phones are no, no longer there in the market itself. So that's what I'm saying. The, the early adopters or the people who swear by a particular brand people who stand outside apple for <laughs> 2 to 3 days yeah. that that piece of audience is it increasing in the pie or is increasing in the share is that pointing it to that thing
0: i think you know i i also think i mean it's i think a, it's a very clear definition or a philosophy but i think it's a little bit blurry at the moment because what i think increasingly in our work you know, with sort of ve- and you know, we work across very, very different consumer segments, right? And I think what we are finding is a lot of these slightly more traditional definitions, no, are constantly now being challenged. A lot of those boundaries and silos are often sort of blurring. You find the same person, you know, being a very different consumer across different times of the day, you know, as they sort of grow older. Some of them actually grow younger in their choices. So I think it's a, I'm very, to be really honest, I'm very, very wary of sometimes, you know, uh, a slightly more generalized understanding of uh, users, especially. And I think that that context really is everything, right. And it helps you understand. Uh, But also, I think going back to, you know, brand and, you know, if this is sort of the new space where we are seeing Uh, where we sort of need to shift how we think about users as also people who are building this. Um, I think internally, also that idea of the brand is, you know, this how you think and how therefore you act. Who do you see as an ally? You know, what in the world do you really want to sort of rebel against or defeat or change? What are the choices that you make? And also, I think very importantly today, what are the choices that you don't make, right? We always talk about what do brands stand for, but I think at some point, you know, it also becomes important to also decide, you know, what is it that I'm not going to stand with? And I think essentially, therefore, you know, today, when someone says, you know, that you're designing brands, what you're really trying to do is to, you know, create and capture a mind space, right? And again, both, you know, something that is as compelling, uh, as sticky to build sort of internal, and I would call them communities and not even teams anymore, Uh and, you know, communities with sort of your users and consumers. I think that's really the big goal. So, it's essentially Mindspace.
1: Interesting. I think we'll we'll come to this because I have like a follow-up question on this. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so I, I wanted to borrow like Steve Jobs' word where he said it's a noisy world. And he said that probably in uh, when he was relaunching or when he had rejoined Apple. Hmm. So, keeping that as the premise, uh, I generally think it's a very, very noisy world. And uh, especially today, where almost every brand is trying to make its its space or or trying to create content or try to. Of course, my worldview is very limited to the digital products, but yeah. uh, you can explore that further. Hmm. So, what do you think is more powerful when you are creating sort of the identity along with its values and the uh, uh, the whole whole package around it which probably we can just for like a lack of a better word design system or a branding system is that like if it's really done well is that becomes powerful or in today's day and age uh, media buying takes the brand forward because you need to be present in so many spaces so Mm -hmm. how do you look at these two things like do you have a comparison in your mind or uh, they are not interconnected or whatever, like whatever so I, I have, just
0: want to <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I have two, three different sort of ways of looking at this, right? So the if I were to start with, I think, you know, the first thing that I would question is, you know, why should we even be pitting these decisions of, you know, should I spend more time creating this identity and this value, this, this identity piece, or should I, you know, be spending my resources on media? I think the, I mean, to be really honest, where you sort of see this sort of drift coming is really because there is a specified allocated budget. And then everyone's sort of fighting with, you know, what to spend it on. But
1: I... Just, uh, no, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yeah. No, no. So I think that drift is slightly different. Okay. Uh, say like in in probably 20 years ago, you had limited brands like Bajaj and and Chetak and say, I don't know, maybe Fevicol But since the media was very controlled, uh, it was still not as fragmented as we have today. That's why those narratives still stay in our mind or it was not noisy. That's Got why it. they stayed. That's that's sort of the premise oh, which okay. I'm trying oh, to... All right, all right. Yeah.
0: So here's the thing. I think without the right intent, I think both are as useful or useless, right? Because I think the right media is, you know, a lot more impactful than necessarily a lot of media, right? Because what happens is, If you buy up a lot of media, but that is not something that's relevant to the particular target audience or the context that you're operating in, you know, you'll splash a lot of billboards, but, you know, the right people aren't seeing it or the billboard isn't even the right sort of context. So I think the thing, the problem with a lot of the media buying and sometimes why, you know, I think people, uh, clients especially end up feeling cheated is because maybe, you know, the right allocation did not happen to the right things. Secondly, the other thing is we can, one can sort of always buy up a lot of, you know, prime media visibility, but at the end of the day, you know, if your design and content is undifferentiated or if it's misleading, at worst, you know, you might raise some um, eyebrows and, you know, get some people just sort of acquainted with it. But I think one has to remember that design is going to be the longer running thread through all the brand experiences right? Because I think when you think of media buying, right, and mostly it's really in the context of acquisition that we think that, you know, more people need to know or people need to do know that we are changing to something or that, you know, we've got some new stuff going. But the thing is, eventually when people come, when people have landed up at your doorstep, right, what happens to the experience then, right? And therefore, I think, and again, this might obviously, you know, be biased, I might be a little bit more biased, but I think the investment in design is Also the longer running thread. I think while the noisiness of the media landscape is scary, the thing is, I think we're all in a little bit of a rush, which I don't think really helps anybody. You know, brand building recall, building associations takes time. I'm sure, you know, the average person today is looking at, and we don't even realize it, right? Sometimes that we're, I think, probably consuming about a hundred different pieces of branded content in a day without realizing it, right? So recall takes time. And that's why, you know, even though, and which is going to be funny, because I know a lot of this uh, conversation, we are actually going to talk about uh, things that change and things that are flexible, but a certain consistency of thought or intention actually becomes very, very uh, critical for things to even, you know, register with people. It takes time to register. I think what we do is we mistake a sensation sometimes for having, you know, being able to sort of successfully create a mind space. I think uh, people's lives, you know, are very, very busy. There are many things to worry about. And therefore, again, right, With I think it's instead of a lot of media, if you look at the right media, you know, for your audience, if you instead of looking at design that is sort of uh, very, very catchy, uh, you know, is it meaningful in that context? I think those are more important things. The thing? No, so then uh, suppose
1: if we design a really good say a campaign or a product or a service or or something which is sort of I'm just flipping the question slightly hmm. differently. Uh, so assume we we built something really cool uh which has sort of some substance to it. Now yeah. it could be anything. Now will it need a sponsored post? <laughs> because you are constantly uh looking like bunch of posts and following a lot of people on Instagram hmm. so it's inevitable right to to have a sponsored post but um especially like like let's take audio again, for example hmm. uh, i've been I've been doing some like reflection on where am i doing what am I doing and what has been done so far and there is really, really good gems that I have, but I've never posted anything or actively bought in media or like did some ad campaigns or anything. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty much static. The, the growth is pretty much static. Now, that's where I'm coming from, is that do you need to buy a media despite having a good content or good good substance to the brand itself?
0: I think buying media is, uh, I think in my opinion, again, not the only answer, right? I, uh, I think there is also, for instance, if we take the case of Audio Gyan, right? I think in the case of audiogram for instance you know one could look at engaging and building the community more strongly and that sort of in turn becoming you know the channel through which it grows mm-hmm. right because i think there is even today you know even if i see let's say a skincare product it is quite likely that you know i end up uh, clicking on a sponsored post and i see you know somebody else who's also used it i am You know, it is quite likely that at some point, you know, I will ask this person that, hey, you know, this is a brand new thing. Have you tried it? And I think that power of people being connected with people and these ideas sort of passing via them is actually going to be very, very important, right? So I think a sponsored post might get visibility, but I don't have any data to right now say that this will also result in a richer engagement with that product.
1: Beautiful, beautiful. I think I got my answer, yeah. (laughs) Very nicely put, yeah. Cool. You also, uh, I was reading uh, some of your articles and uh, one of the articles had a nice title saying templates are dead. Uh, I wanted to just double click on that and and how do you ensure sort of brands that, because I'm a designer and want to be creative but also want scale. Uh, So I have to find the right templates at a very tactical level also and at a a bit uh, abstract level also. You want to just give Absolutely. us more in, like, yes. nuances about So it?
0: I think yeah. first, I think I should clarify for everybody what I've been when I say, you know, templates are dead. I think again, and in that specific article as well, I think it refers to a certain kind of template that I think is dead. And that is essentially, you know, the very sort of traditional immovable so sacrosanct that you can't touch it. That idea of templates, and again, please remember, this is coming from the identity uh, space, right? So my my grudge with them is essentially that these kind of templates, no, they are very very specific to what we know are today's formats, right? But we also understand that you know formats and the kinds of engagement are constantly changing. I think in an earlier conversation with you, I think I'd you know talked about how. You know, we'd all laugh at our dads taking vertical videos uh, all the time on their phones. And, you know, look, no no one's laughing now, right? Vertical videos are are it, right? Uh, Most of us now are shooting, uh, you know, vertical videos. So I think, you know, we have to be honest and admit that while we can all speculate and guess what the future is bringing, we will never completely know what it will bring. So therefore, you know, that's one of my first reasons for um, being slightly annoyed with you know, templates which don't respond, which are just fixed in what we know today, right? And are not sort of built for change. The other, my other general gripe with, you know, traditional templates are, they're almost uh, designed as lorem ipsum, dummy text, dummy subkuch, right? They don't somehow take into account the content or the context. Now, if, you know, for a second, we think about a brand, as a person right so you know as a human being you will you will have a certain value system and you know a slightly specific personality but you know when you go to a wedding versus when you go to a funeral you're not going to behave exactly the same way right while you will still remain Kedar. Kedar at a college reunion versus Kedar in his office at an appraisal meeting will be a different Kedar right but you're still Kedar. So now if I extend this back to identity systems right so Templates that you know are completely devoid of understanding what kind of content or context I have to deal with will always end up throwing up challenges where they are not appropriate in certain contexts. You know, sometimes brands need to be very loud, sometimes they need to be slightly subtle, sometimes they do need to be serious, sometimes they need to do something more playful. But template hai, ab humko mein sab kuch karna hai, right. But I also, I also agree that. why we've come to templates right we've come to templates because we need larger numbers of people of creators to sort of stay on brand you know we want to remove individual or sort of selective subjectivity and make sure that you know there is consistency across let's say the 10 million things a brand today puts out. so systems are important but if we again go back to brands and say okay what are how do brands live today and I think why I use the word live and I don't use the word exist, you know, exist is a dull word, but, but to live really, you know, means to be able to take on change, to be able to evolve and to be able to react differently in different situations. So essentially, I think there is definitely a need for, you know, systems and, uh, you know, not just for scale, but just to sustain sort of, you know, engagement over time. But I think the systems definitely need to be built for change and for contextual change. So this has to be intelligent change. It's not change for the sake of change. We define rules. But I think when people don't understand why certain rules are there, you know, and I'm referring to, you know, the standard sort of brand Bible type of situation, people can faithfully sort of reproduce or clone but, you know, it doesn't really have life. They're not able to, as creative practitioners in the team, you know, you also want them to be able to bring their strengths to the table, right? So I think in my opinion, maybe, you know, instead of calling it templates or whatever, maybe maybe we call them, you know, something like principles, right? Which is sort of a mix of guidelines, but with a very clear sort of articulation of what their role is, what their intention is. And I think that... Sh- yeah, yes, so intelligence. And that, that intelligence no, has to be coded into all those basic ingredients. You know, why do we sort of think of, you know, colours as ye color fixed hair and you know, this is fixed. But imagine, you know, if you think of all these basic assets also of a brand identity, but you think of them how language is made, right? You think of all the different parts of speech, and then you can sort of put them together in different ways to perform different roles. So I think that's um. Yeah, that's where I'm coming from, where I'm saying that, you know, systems are important, but I think dead immovable templates are not. But I think something that's more principle-based along with the guidelines where people understand the why of it and the personality of it and the character of it, I think they're able to build more things rather than, you know, there was one identity project done in this year and then, you know, now we have to live with it uh, until the system breaks. The system shouldn't break, it should be able to evolve.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm very fascinated uh, and want to understand this more, but... Let's take a short break here. Yeah? We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back to the show so a bit technical question then like does it mean that your or or does it have to be this way which is your hmm. grammar for hmm. building that system can be more does it need to be slightly tactical to address uh, like today's need or you build that grammar also uh, at a very abstract level so like this has been my like hmm. personal struggle also if hmm. if you make a logo or if you make a brand hmm. identity can you build an underlying grammar which I can extrapolate and, and continue as a designer? Because that's where the agency's job would probably stop and then the brand can or the product yeah. can own it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so what are your thoughts on that? Like, is it devoid of two things? A principle is separate, the grammar is separate, or it it's a one-unit, one, unit, yeah. one a, system that it's
0: a led sort of,
1: system. And I'm just
0: wondering right now if sort of diving into examples is maybe a good way to. Understand this yeah, before no, it gets, okay. you know, even more abstract with my terrible metaphors. Uh, but uh, so I think you know maybe, and these are of course also recent, uh, you know, projects. I think both, I think Phone Pay and MPL are sort of built on these sort of layered principles, where uh, on these layered sort of uh, you know view where it's principles plus guidelines. The end objective, no, in both these uh, cases was essentially to set up a toolkit that other creatives could play with, right? And, you know, be able to create new, completely context-sensitive adaptations without losing the brand feel. So for both of these, you know, if you consider this was the starting point. So if you look at phone pay, right? So one of the most sort of visible and, you know, versatile elements is that of this graphic element in there, you know, it's called the beam, so, in terms of its structure and form, it you know it it draws very simply from the circular mark that they have. That if it were to move, right, it would take on the path of the beam. Now, what you have here is almost a fixed graphic element, right? Which is this form of you know it's it's a it's a slightly capsule-like form, which is sort of you know stretches. But conceptually, what is it, right? Conceptually, the principle is that the idea of moving forward is always there. The idea of moving forward confidently, boldly, which, you know, echoes there, the entire sort of brand message of collective progress, the whole sort of, sort of sort of feeling, right? Principally, that is the understanding that you have to build when you work with the fixed asset, which is the beam, right? Now, what happens when you sort of embed this in your handover to, you know, the design team and all the agencies that work with it is that they understand that this is an element, but this is why it moves in a particular way. So when they build their renditions, right, they always understand that I might animate it to go in a loop, um, you know, it might sort of fly like a flag, but there is a certain character to the movement. That quality of sort of boldness and sort of joy joyfulness remains intact. And which is why I think that goes down to the success of, you know, it's been, what, a year and a half. Um, and, you know, the phone pay design team has continued to sort of build on it. And you feel, and we've seen so many sort of iterations of it, right? But I think having that sort of principle of what does this represent? What is the energy? And almost sort of building a, you know, personality around it has really, really helped. Mm.
1: But, man, I mean, it's a little... Unreal lag because I've gone through the video, yeah. I've gone through the website and the kind of the system. And I'll tell you why I'm coming from like Unreal. It's so natural, it's so so beautifully done that it feels obvious. Now, is it like uh, uh, because creative on like it, it strikes, right? And it, it feels very instinctively this is the thing, or can it be really achieved through iterations? This is slightly detour, but yeah, wanted to.
0: Sorry, what do
1: you mean by iterations? Uh, iterations are in like you are mulling on the idea continuously, you're trying variations and arrive at that output. Or sometimes it just, the execution is almost zero. But it's it's like the idea naturally fits in as it's, it's almost like a serendipity. Oh, this Does it happen?
0: idea <laughs> Because otherwise what, you know, how do you, that idea of saying that what digital payments does is essentially, you know, helps you move. That's what, that's the kind of liberation that it brings to your life, right? Because if you're not able to sort of uh, bridge that sort of uh, a brand idea or values into a slightly more tangible action. And I've realized, I think in our case, you know, we are, I think we are sort of predisposed to sort of always thinking of these things as almost, you know, movement with some personality right is why i think you know once you sort of have the clarity of that this is a certain kind of movement right and what is that kind of movement so if i take the case of mpl right mpl is actually thoda sa so or abstract right where you know the entire sort of family of brand assets is actually built on i mean i can talk about the assets specific you know individually but essentially one there's one dna that they all share which is this crazy, loud volume of thrill. So whether you now dissect a piece of MPL Creative into the background elements, the color palette, the fonts, or the image treatment, or the animations, or the sonic identity, uh, you'll realize there is a certain amount of volume And this sort of, you know, little bit of this crazy energy, which is, you know, which is the world of gaming and which is really the internal DNA of MPL, right? And it's interesting because a lot of those things, right? There's the epicenter form. So like the phone pay has the beam, there is this epicenter form, but that form is not limited to a shape. It's nothing. It's just a clever sort of gradation of very three, three, very intense colors, right? Which can adapt to literally any form factor, But it makes wherever you put it, right, behind things, in front of things, it immediately sort of gives it that larger-than-life vibe. You know, one interesting thing which I think, you know, uh, people are never going to actually realize or articulate, but once the sonic identity of MPL was done, uh, which is uh, actually set at a higher beats per minute, so that, you know, the moment you hear it, your heart starts to race, right? It's a natural instinct, right? All the motion design for MPL is actually also designed on the same rhythm, right? So what is interesting is when you have motion and sound together, your heart is racing. When you don't have sound also, right? Let's say you're just creating a simple GIF, right? You know, 15 minutes, you have to put up something, right? Because there's some offer which is expiring, etc. You make a simple GIF, but that rhythm is the same, so you know your feeling of that brand whether it's visual or um, auditory remains the same right so i think mpl is a great example for me of you know you, that you can sort of go on to a higher level and say behavior kya hai you know can are we able to in some way understand create a behavior and then bring that to various elements of the brand So the great thing about MPL and which has been very helpful because, you know, that's been a massively high growth brand. They've gotten into everything from esports to fantasy, etc. Is that you have multiple assets, but because they share the same DNA, there is no uh, pressure to make it feel MPL. Certain things will require quieter volume. So you can use, you know, only one or two of the elements, but you still sort of don't lose that crazy thrilling edge of your seat sort of feel you know, that MPL
1: has. Mm. Interesting. I, I don't recollect the color exactly. I'm not the TG also, but I guess what happens is that even if you don't have moment, the, the vibrant color sort of gives you that feeling. Also. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. And everything is really for me, you know, the rhythm is what sort of cracked it.
1: Mm. Cool, cool. Sounds interesting. I, I'm, mm. I have like flooded with questions, but which could be probably offline <laughs> and more of uh, for me to understand uh, can become sure. a bit boring as well. So (laughs) cool.
0: Yes, especially for people who have no context of all these elements we're talking
1: about. Cool. Uh, So more, I wanted to uh, actually have like last two questions. So in last 15 years of co-design, sort of working with such a wide range of clients, how do you sort of decide on a particular styling for a particular client? And this could be either aesthetics or I mean aesthetics comes last actually I understand that so uh, you can just touch upon it but uh, mainly like in a nutshell if you can give sort of the idea as to how do you engage with it and then uh, how do you abstract because a lot of people like may not be able to tell what they want actually also so how do you how do you try mm. and extract that information Then, then I was also referring to one of the articles which you said like don't follow the trend and and yeah. don't reject the trend as well. So I wanted to just hmm. like see if there is a connecting dot there and understand your point of
0: view. I know you said you don't really want to focus on aesthetics, but I am still going to sort of keep it in the play because I think it is important. Because, you know, what's happened is, especially in, on honestly, on a lot of, you know, platforms where we today talk and argue and discuss design. I think um, aesthetics has taken a little bit of a hit uh, where, you know, generally this, the entire sort of conceptual side of uh, design or strategic side of design, uh, you know, has taken a forefront, uh, which is interesting because I feel like the time when we started my career was all about aesthetics, now everyone's, but maybe these things move in cycles. So I actually would like to still keep aesthetics in play when we talk about this, you know, how do you sort of decide a particular kind of uh, style because I think it is important because I think that's a place where we are generally as an industry not doing uh, very well. Absolutely. absolutely. Or or I think not creating. (laughs) No, in fact, (laughs) it resonates
1: uh, so much because uh, in I'm really yeah. happy
0: to actually talk aesthetics at this point now that we've talked about a lot of very very sort of top level yeah, things yeah.
1: no like. in fact I, I would like to because uh, I did this uh, series called where are the designers and we, we also mm-hmm. got Harish uh, the head of design at CRED to the talk yeah. and me and Abhinit the co-host for that series used to keep talking about this same thing because yeah there is there is form function all the cliche definitions everything is yeah we are there I, I, I understand now where is the intricateness where is the cultural aspect of it where is the aesthetics of it I think
0: because we can't shy away from eventually what are we crafting right our intentions can be right but remember I think as designers or at least some of us designers still have the responsibility of also then being able to package those really great intentions and those really bright ideas into a form that is palatable and is receivable because, Naito, you know, all those things will only sit in our decks and our design conferences.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, please. So
0: yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. So, I think um, the way of dealing with really this sort of, you know, complete sort of difference of uh, aesthetics is has mostly been by not jumping into aesthetics on day one, right? And there are, I think there are a couple of uh, reasons here and why we usually tend to take a little bit of time while coming to a particular sort of genre or a space for a particular brand, right? So the first big one is actually of biases, right? Now, designers are human, clients are very human. And the reality is we will all have aesthetic biases based on you know the lives we've all led up till this point right where we went to school where we lived what our associate what kind of books we read what kind of movies we saw and what happens is generally you know human beings i think have a lot of comfort in familiarity absolutely right and 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 i think that's where where a lot of strong opinions Right of what a particular space evokes or should evoke actually come from. They come from a lot of uh, each of our personal sort of uh, you know associations.
1: In fact, I remember uh, my my upholstery is a typical pista and bottle green ke beach me ka shade. Uh, and I remember yeah. that same shade. I bought it, but I had the same shade when I was probably sixth or seventh in my mom and dad's house where I used to stay there, where I grew yeah. up. Grew up. <laughs> When I look at it, I, I clearly remember there's a connection. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting, right? Because that's a that's a choice that you made for your home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Because again, Kedar at home needs something different. Experiment. Right? So So, but I think the very important thing that we are very, very conscious of, right, is the fact that none of these biases might be right for the brand that we are working with. Right? We all might end up, you know, jumping the gun and, you know, choosing something that feels right but often it feels right because it's something we're already familiar with, right? And that's my worry with trends sometimes, right? When one sort of jumps onto a trend, is you know there are trends because we are and we, because there are trends we are seeing them a lot. There's comfort and some meaning has already been attached to it, and therefore there's a ready-made answer. Mm. You know, so why not? Why not quickly solve it? You know, why why wait? So I think that's that's sort of one, um, I think, uh, danger of jumping into aesthetics. The other little bit is, I think, category codes. Uh, Now, you know, right now, to be really honest, if I um, go to a supermarket or even if I'm, you know, shopping online, you know, honestly, I can't make out one healthy cereal from the other, right? All sort of Ayurvedic skincare products sort of blend into this one, you know, minimal, premium, vaguely ancient India-inspired kind of blur. (laughs) Right. And, you know, if I take away the logo from, you know, half the, let's say, the travel ads that I see, there's no way I can tell you what brand it is. Right. So I think what happened is the success of some early brands, you know, in in different spaces, they built a very strong association for a particular category. And that sort of became the norm for everyone else sort of jumping into that space. Right. Because they said, you know, people already associate this with, I don't know, healthy or spiritual so, you know, let's also sort of work with it. Uh, there is there is a way to work with category codes, which I'll come to. Uh, but I just wanted to first sort of list on what the common sort of places are where, you know, one tends to sort of drop the ball when working with aesthetics. The third is, I think, this sort of tunnel vision we all, you know, uh, Develop, I think I feel sometimes because we are very you know sincerely sort of engaged in the project, or you know the founder is also very very sort of passionate. So we all develop some kind of tunnel vision where we only think of aesthetics in the context of our brand or our category. But you know, aesthetics is quite complex. You know, like like you talked about that example of the upholstery you picked. I think we create associations based on multiple experiences in our life, right? And the user is also doing exactly that. So they're building these associations, not just ki biscuits. They're building these associations from everything else also in their life. So therefore, I think, you know, what becomes interesting is that, you know, my mental image, if someone told me, ki, what evokes safety for you, I'm going to think of many things. I'm going to think of healthcare mein kya experience, tha, banking. Mein kya tha, uh, and I think there is some sort of you know, and I've seen that, right? Like you look at alcohol and spirits today, right? And I think so much of it resonates with the luxury sort of things we see in travel or fashion that sort of have ended up in aesthetics in alcohol and spirits as well. So I think the reason to really step away from aesthetics on day one is to be able to think these three, at least, you know, to these three things. Um, And so that we don't sort of start with the easy answers. I think, the critical thing for us always has been to, you know, objectively arrive at goals for visual design with the client. I think this is very important, right? Uh, We can't, I think sometimes designers get frustrated because, you know, they form this entire argument in their heads and then we go and throw a end product on the table. But I think it's very important and it's really helped to take the client along in that journey. You know, if they don't, necessarily, if they may not have necessarily seen their users actual life, right, what the rest of their life looks like, what are the kind of fashion choices they're making, even if let's say you're working with a fintech brand, right, you need to understand, because you know, those are the lenses through which you understand where does ambition lie, where does aspiration lie, where does apprehension lie, right. Uh, Similar thing, you know, category codes also need to be read with some kind of analytical mindset, you know, like today, we have all understood that consumer research is never the answer. It's the ability to analyze it and then pull the insights out. So similarly, you know, that's what we should do with category codes. Not look at a certain color and say yeah, is category ka hai. No, I think we need to understand why does it make people feel a certain way about that sort of you know space. And once we sort of understand that, I think then we know what is it that we need to take. It may not necessarily be the same color or form or you know I don't know kinds of fonts etc. So I think for us across whatever these 15, 16, 17 years, I think it's really, you know, a lot of very, very deep engagement with, you know, all three clients and and their products and the users that have really sort of helped us find, uh, you know, slightly more specific aesthetic decisions. Uh, These are not solutions that I think one is going to find in a mood board because I think sometimes they don't exist on a mood board, no? Mm.
1: Yeah, true, true. (laughs)
0: like a lot of the times you know people have asked like next step you will show us a mood board and you know sometimes you have to say no I can't show your mood board because I don't know but you know what I'm going to show you what their playlist looks like right and let's try and understand from that so I think across different projects you know these aesthetic decisions have come from very different places which can be, I don't know, for let's say for Royal Enfield uh, rebranding, you know, a significant part of that first phase of design was not spent designing, but just sort of understanding, you know, so, so the, uh, you know, the motorcycle started essentially in post-war Britain, right, and there was a certain amount of restraint, because of, you know, uh, wartime, right, and that sort of became very, very uh, peculiar about, you know, British design from not just that era, but that sort of continued that sort of very elegant minimalism, right, where there is ornamentation, but with a lot of control. And, you know, if you understand that brand of craftsmanship, then one is sort of able to design for this brand, which really sort of is British design, right? We might say, you know, <laughs> but it is the the core of the, you know, the, the design aesthetic of the brand is post-war Britain, right? So a lot of time was spent understanding that. And I feel a lot of the sensibilities that therefore sort of came to fore, you know, not just sort of that first year of the big sort of, you know, brand launch, but and we've continued to sort of work with them on, you know, key new projects has been that understanding of the provenance, right? And the philosophy and why things were like that. You know, why, why does it not have the American swagger? Or why does it not have, you know, the Japanese sort of stance, right? In their products, in their communication. So for instance, in Royal Enfield, it came from understanding their history. In Wildcraft, you know, you it's it's really just there is this irregular sort of crazy brushstroke that you see everywhere, right? Which essentially came from you know listening to their uh, you know their experiences in the field talking to people about why they liked to go hiking or trekking or camping and I think in one of these interviews you know someone had said this that it feels very raw right and that I think is is beautiful right because that's something nature does to you right it's a little bit outside of your control right it, it has its own mind right so the aesthetic decision of that sort of wild brushstroke for wildcraft comes from there we um, you know, currently, I think very recently, we'd uh, worked with Tarun Tahilyani and the Aditya billa group. So, the, you know, they've, uh, they've of course, you know, there's a new joint venture and they've uh, launched a brand uh, called Taswar, right? Which is a ethnic Indian menswear, right? Now, one route for it could have been to say, yeah, what is ethnic Indian celebration? And let's sort of dive into that, right? But when you understand the business rationale of that brand, right? If you look at ethnic menswear in India, and I'm talking about mass segment, okay, so I'm not talking about very premium. So the mass segment is essentially uh, not really led by any particular design sensibility, right? It's a little bit of like knockoffs of here or there, but it's largely very, very undifferentiated. But when you take a Tarun Tahilyani, right, and you make him accessible, then that, that design leadership is your strongest asset, so very, very strategically, you know, if you look at, and this is very recent, so you may not have yet seen it, but it actually feels so much like Tarun and his work, right? And that was important that this, this uh, brand should not invent its own complete sort of metaphors and expressions of celebration, but it had to be a translation of what Tarun brings to the brand, right? Because he's the big strategic asset here. So. So, IT money, ET money just launched, right? And I don't know if you've heard the Sonic logo, you know, you hear it when you launch the app or at the end of the ads, etc. So the Sonic is interesting, where, you know, we took, we said, so one of the key propositions is, you know, what it does is it replaces the idea of this, you know, very wise wealth manager who is a person with very, very wise, intelligent and dynamic tech, right? So very strategically, the sound is very digital, you know, it's very obviously digital, but it somewhere reminds you of coins. Right. So there is this little bit of a digital intelligence that you build in versus, let's say, a phone pay, which is also a fintech brand. But that was much more human construct. Right. So there, you know, the sonic identity is very, very human. So I think it's there's there's really no one way. Right. And I think acknowledging that early in the day has sort of helped us to say, you know, I think just starting with that blank slate is great. Uh, I think just engaging deeply has really helped. And it's helped us shed our biases, right? I think the critical, the magical bit happens is when you realize what do you need to prioritize? What do you need to leverage? Because it's not going to exist. I don't think the answer exists. And ideally, it shouldn't exist, right? Because that's where you sort of create a unique space. But you really have to feel it in your bones. You know, I I, I don't know how to explain it. You have to feel that building up of that space in your bones when you sit down on like a blank sort of a artboard or a
1: canvas Uh, I think you have well you don't even need to tell this much uh, that feel in your bones because I could sense it I could like because the parallels the examples that you gave me sort of uh, Mm. sort of helped me visualize that how this is how this experience or how this exercise or this engagement unfolds uh, as you go along but yeah really really good sort of uh, way to explain this Cool. Want to conclude with one last question, which I, I'm sort of not very ready with the question yet, but it's it's mm-hmm. just like I'm, I'm sort of thinking aloud and uh, whatever mm. little bit of stuff that I've been reading or understanding, uh, the web 3.0, which is sort of called the creator economy, uh, mm. uh, what I've sort of, tried to read between the lines and got a feeling that it's going to be very fragmented. And I'll give you an example. Today, there are these uh, board panda and whatever, board ape kind of mm. stuff now. Now, they're mm. just going on a spree where people are just bidding crazy and they start with some, I don't know, maybe with like 0.09 Ethereum or something and then go all up to like mm. millions of dollars. Now, when I started just pinging here a bit and what I understood is you you need to build a community, you need to build a fan following yeah. and then you keep riding that wave. And so it, it may not be like just one NFT, but like an entire FOMO yeah. generating like a bouquet <laughs> bouquet of uh, sort of GIFs and, and um, uh, artworks. Yeah. So I'm just speculating that these individual designers will be almost like individual brands. So you have given any thought, any wild thinking about it? Is it going to be tough to brand yourself as opposed to branding as an individual versus like an organization? Any thoughts there? Just like thinking aloud.
0: So sorry, I didn't get the bit about branding yourself as an individual
1: versus organization. Yeah, as in like these NFT artists are single people, right? Now they're hmm. they're they're brand themselves almost hmm. like a single brand or whatever that solo proner kind hmm. of a thing. Hmm. Versus, um, so the long tail will be huge, and uh, the, these corporates, these big companies might might not even uh, I don't know how to put it. There are these big organizations, and there are these. Cool in, in even in Web 2.0, there are these D2C brands which are making an hmm. impact through their brand. Yeah. Uh, so any thoughts around that, Ki what is going to be like any, any future that you see Kya wala hai brand? Mein? I think
0: one of the things, and I think we've already honestly started to see that happen, right? I think scale is not going to solve things for you necessarily. Right. If you remember, you know, if we were having this conversation. I don't know, 10, 12 years back, it would feel like if you're already a big organization, that things are smoother for you. Right. Um, I, I I feel scale is going to become more and more irrelevant. I think the interesting thing is going to be the battle for mind space because that is essentially going to be about ideas, right? And that's where whether you're a brand or you're a, you're a small organization or you're a single-person entrepreneur, you know, one creative artist, I think a lot of that is going to slowly, not slowly also, I think we are seeing it quite rapidly only happen. I think more and more, and I think it's also part of the fact that life in some sense has become a little bit difficult, right? And, uh, you know, we're, I think, only now beginning to understand what some of the ramifications of, uh, you know, the last two years have been. Uh, I think people are going to be, if not by choice, I think the world is right now forcing everybody to take a pause, become a little bit more mindful, uh, whether it is about consumption uh, or expression. Uh, So I think eventually people are going to start looking, uh, not to become fans, right? But I think they would rather become part of something where they have a voice, where they can contribute, Uh, Which is why I keep saying, you know, I think instead of saying consumer base, etc, you know, let's start calling them as communities, right? This is your community. This is what you need to build. You don't need, you know, fans is a slightly crazy word, right? Because fan feels like blind sort of trust and blind love. And, you know, it's very difficult for other people to take somebody who's very obviously biased as any sort of, you know, voice of reason. Right. You look at, I think, a lot of, um, you know, I I feel like with a lot of the influencers that are sort of on right now, I think the ones who sort of do well or one sort of goes back to to see their content are the ones who are a little bit more neutral. Not (laughs) neutral, but basically, I think not so biased in terms of, you know, being sort of open to sort of new ideas, exploring new things once in a while, saying that they actually don't know, but this seems interesting. So I think this entire sort of you know, new economy is going to run on the back of ideas, ideas that are led by values. And I think um, eventually, I think engagement is not just going to be to book eyeballs, right? It is going to be, you know, people start sort of building stuff along with you, right? So I, th- I think that's from now. Again, you know, I think we're all sort of trying to figure what this means, I think what is interesting is also the richer sort of immersive experiences that, uh, you know, Web 3.0 is going to provide. And I think it will be interesting to see how sort of, you know, brands and sort of people move in. Because while everything is virtual, I think it's weird, right? Because the desire still remains to connect as people or to connect with people. So I think, uh, yeah, I think that'll be interesting completely uncontrollable which is going to be interesting <laughs> to see
1: yeah absolutely yeah. cool cool no i mean yeah it's it's quite um going to be a ride to see and i'm i'm very happy that we are sort of looking at this generation where we are at the cusp of entering a metaverse so let's see what happens there as well yeah. um in fact i don't know we are maybe <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, cool. Uh, so, thanks a lot, uh, Mohit, for giving your time. It was really wonderful talking to you, and uh, I hope you uh, sort of like. I wish you best of luck in the next gigs that you pick up. Any any existing work which you guys are working on?
0: No, I can never talk about. That's that's the, that's the only problem with uh, you know uh, working with uh, branding. Is yeah. You're the most boring uh, dinner time guest because uh-huh. they tell you what's happening and you're just like, nope. You can say, but I think just, I think it is um, interesting this year, you know, I always keep thinking and you know, when you, I think the biggest fear when you run uh, a practice for a while is that, you know, will things plateau, right? Will things start becoming repetitive? Mm -hmm. But uh, I think every year and again, this year is the same. It just surprises Uh, by throwing completely new segments, completely new businesses, completely new sort of audience segments. So I'm very um, excited about this year. And of course, you know, all of you will only see stuff in like a year or so. Uh, But I think it's interesting. I think very long back, you know, this is 10, 12 years back. You know, we were still struggling as whatever the little practice that actually we've always remained. And I remember telling this, uh, you know, colleague Siddharth saying that, you know, Man, you know, I just I, I I want to do like I want to see our work everywhere, and and you know at that point it just felt like it wouldn't happen, and now it's just so exciting. But I creep people out on the road if I see them with like a wildcraft bag or you know or a rollin field bike by just like grinning at them like a maniac. Yeah. Uh, so it's been interesting because I think when we started, you know, a lot of people said you know if you want to do big stuff, you can't work in this sort of very boutique sort of fashion and this sort of crazy level of engagement. But I'm I'm glad I think the industry sort of changed at the same time. So we were all very lucky. The fact that people find value in sort of engaging in a particular way, you know, which is not sort of the standard process, where, you know, they're okay, if you walk in and say, listen, guys, we don't know, but let's solve this. Right? Mm-hmm. So so, we so, found yeah. some more people like that this year. So, I'm, I'm great. So, hopefully, we're going to be exploring new things.
1: Yeah, definitely. No, I mean, uh, there are two sides. Uh, definitely, the the brands have started engaging at that level. But uh, it's also sort of the hard work, the perseverance, these like your sort of agencies are at it to to improve the design standards of Indian products, Indian brands. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's also like... Yeah. You can, yeah. you need And it's, not it's
0: absolutely selfish, right? I think yeah. because I feel the more kind of examples we can put out as sort of successful, sustainable uh, business or design or experience cases, I think it helps all of us back, right? So I think it's as sort of uh, selfish a motive.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no.
0: <laughs> cool. Okay,
1: cool. thanks a lot. And that's it from today's GAN session. For show notes and more GAN, visit audiogan.com. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to check our other interesting podcast on IVM Network. You can listen to us on IVM Podcast app, ivmpodcast.com or any of your favorite podcasting apps. To stay tuned, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ivmpodcast. And if you wish to connect with me, I'm at AudioGanMoments on Instagram. Until then, take care.
2: It's been a great week on the IVM Podcast Network. On this round is on me, Gauri is joined by Shweta Nanda. They talk about the financial independence and how it is to be a woman entrepreneur. On Anish thing Anish welcomes ultra-marathon runner Shivani Gharat. Shivani shares her journey of how she ran her first marathon, the mindset of a runner, and what it actually takes to run a full marathon. On Cock and Bull, Cyrus, Naveen, Akash, and Shreyas talk about the Korean band BTS serving in the military and its repercussions. On Think Fast, Varun and Suchita discuss Wing Greens and their latest acquisitions and about the Indian sexual wellness market. And on Shuniwan Neon, Sheila is joined by Dinika Bhatia, CEO and founder of Natigrities. They talk about coming from a business family and Dinika's journey in creating healthy and guilt-free snacking. Once again, don't forget to visit our merch store on ivmpodcasts.com. We have some exciting new merch out there for you. Also, do follow us on social media. We are IBM Podcasts on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And do remember to spread the word about these shows and any other shows you might be listening to. Appreciate them, rate them, and review them wherever you are listening to them. You can also check out all our other shows on youtube.com slash IBM Podcasts. And finally, we would like to thank our sponsors this week. Volvo XC40 Recharge, Bumble, Heads Up for Tails, Kotak Privy League Programme, And HDFC Mutual Fund. Thanks, guys. Without you, this would not be possible. Do you often find yourself surrounded by conversations about Web3, blockchain, NFTs, DAOs? What are these terms, and how do they affect our future on the internet? So many questions, but don't worry, we've got answers to all your questions. Hi, I'm Iklavya Bhattacharya and on our show, Future Proofing, we try to decode the impact of these future technologies on various industries with experts and tech enthusiasts. Tune into new episodes coming out every Thursday on the IBM podcast app and the website or wherever you get your podcasts from.